Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Hey, at the top of the service today, we dedicated uh, children to the babies, to the Lord, and young children to the Lord. And so I introduced myself there, but if I didn't, if you weren't here then, just want to welcome you. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. And so whether you're here in the worship center, you're joining us online, uh, or out on the patio, uh, just really happy to have you and excited to be spending this time together. So I think Tim mentioned that if you're here uh, on campus, you want to pull out uh, the, the message note sheet. For if you're joining us online, maybe it's the first time really encourage you to click that link either at the top or the bottom, depending on which uh, format you're, you're using. Click on message note sheet. You've got three different formats there to download. It'll be much easier to follow along today. But if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. So Father, we just thank you for your presence in our lives. And we're so thankful that we come to you. You, you fill our lives with your presence. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's the place where you reside. And so we're coming, we're asking today, Lord, that as our Lord, as our teacher, that you would come and, and lead us every step of the way. We give you this service, this time. We acknowledge what your word says, that, that, uh, it, that when you speak the word, it comes alive. Um, and apart from that, it does, does nothing good. But you said your words are life. They're spirit and life. And so we pray that you would come and quicken your word to our heart today, that we'd hear what your spirit is saying to each of us individually in our life, in our next step of our journey, that we can listen and follow you well. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, the story today starts in my, from my own life. And I'm honest, I've shared this story uh, over the years, maybe once or twice, maybe just one other time. But I don't normally do that. But because of the nature of where we're going today, because of the role this played in my life, this experience it played in my life, um, I want to start with it again. So if you go with me back in time, we're going to December. Um, I was in college at the time. I was actually a sophomore in college, 19 years old. And uh, I was going to school in the Midwest uh, outside of Chicago at a Christian liberal arts school. And so I was home in uh, home to Southern California from, from uh, this college. And, and so uh, my folks were living in Orange County at the time. They were living in Fountain Valley. And so um, the, the scene is it's late at night. It's 1130 at night. My folks have gone to bed. Uh, my two younger sisters are sound asleep. I'm in the kitchen uh, at the kitchen table with my Bible. Now, the last six months of my life have been revolutionary. They've been very, just very transformative as God has just revealed himself to me in new ways and my life has really changed and things are coming alive for me spiritually. Um, and so, so I'm, uh, I, I'm at the table and I'm going to be reading the word. And what I've experienced the last six months is just, man, it's just often coming alive. Like the Holy Spirit just kind of highlighting passages applied for me. And that's what's about to happen in this night. So as I'm, I'm reading, I come to a passage where, um, that I never really understood. And even at that young age, typically when I read the New Testament, like things made sense, I followed Paul's logic or the author's logic or whatever. But, but the, I came to a passage that honestly had never made sense. It just never rang true to me when I read it. Um, I, I, I couldn't really you know, understand how it applied. Um, but on this particular night, it was completely different. Uh, as, I, as I was reading along and came to this passage, Man, it's like the Holy Spirit just lit it up, right? So I don't know if you've had that kind of experience where sometimes you're just reading the word and all of a sudden the word just speaks to you in a very personal and profound way as the Holy Spirit takes his word and applies it to your life. And that's exactly what was happening. And it, it was incredibly profound. It was really deep. It was powerful. But honestly, it was also terrifying. And the reason is, is the Holy Spirit was speaking his truth over my life. 
And this truth had tremendous implications. And I sensed it in that moment. And I'd come so far with Jesus in the last six months that I knew I couldn't tell him no. But it was so terrifying, I couldn't say yes. And so I sat there like in a laser lock for 30 minutes, unable to move, just laser locked on this passage. Well, today, we're continuing this journey that we've been on just the last couple of weeks, started this new series that uh, it's called The Gospel of God. And for those of you who are brand new, and I know every week we have people that are new here on campus joining us online, but for those of you who are new, what this is, it's, it's a deep dive. It's a kind of in-depth study into one of the most important letters, influential letters ever written, no exaggeration, in the history of the world. It's not only cho- changed millions and billions of lives, but it's changed the course of human history. And it's a letter written from one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Paul, or the Apostle Paul. Last week, we dove into his story. Um, And he's writing to a group of Christ followers, most of whom he's never met. They live in the capital city of the Roman Empire. They live in Rome themselves. It's about a million people at this time. So he called this letter the letter to the Romans. Now, uh, last week we began to jump into his long intro, the first half of his long intro. It starts at verse 1, goes through verse 7. We're going to go back there again today. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up. We'll turn on there on your note sheet. You have a section called the Gospel of God, the Introduction. So let, before we jump in, let's set it up again. So what we learned last week is that when you read Paul's intros to his letters, he has 13 letters in the New Testament, more often than not, they're, they're very strategic. So it's easy when you read an opening letter just to go, yeah, 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 whatever. He's kind of just, it just feels sort of random what he's saying. But the reality is they're extremely strategic. But what he's actually doing is in a very intentional way, he's beginning to introduce uh, key concepts and topics that he's going to highlight and, and do kind of unpack uh, at a greater and great depth later on. And if this is true in most of Paul's letters, it's Uh, absolutely true, more than ever in his letter to the Romans. And as we saw last week, one of the reasons for this is that he's writing to a group of people he's never met. He's introducing himself, he's introducing his message, what he calls the gospel of God. And remember that in the first century, Paul was often criticized, his his apostleship questioned, his message uh, critiqued, and often misrepresented. So it's extremely important that he, as he introduces himself well to start this letter off on the right foot. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to walk through just real quickly, do a quick review of these first seven verses, and then we're going to come back and focus in on just one key word again that gives us a great insight into this message, what we call the gospel of God, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and what it means to receive the gospel in our life. So there, uh, let's jump in, verse one. So it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, right? So this is a word in the Greek, a doulos. We're going to come back to it later today. It's our key word. So um, he says, a servant of Christ Jesus, and he's called to be an apostle. Now, if you heard last week, we saw what an important word this, what, what important word this is. Remember, apostolos? 
the, the, what Paul is saying is at a particular point in his life, about two years into the movement of Jesus, that he had a, a dramatic encounter with the resurrected Jesus that turned him from a violent persecutor into a passionate Christ follower. And that in that encounter, Jesus not only met him and forgave him, but commissioned him to speak for him as one of his authorized representatives to speak with his, his authority and take the message of Jesus, the gospel of God, to the world. And so uh, this is a very important word. So he says that he's called to be an apostle. He was set apart for the gospel of God, this big picture story that Paul is going to be unpacking for us in the 16 chapters of this letter. Now, he says this gospel he promised beforehand. So the way the Messiah came, uh, not what we expected. And he said, yet, though it's new and different, it was actually prophesied uh, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the Jewish Scriptures, what we call our Old Testament. And it's all about his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. And so this, this gospel, everything leads up to and then everything leads out of the coming of his son, uh, of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the implications for all of, not only our life, but for all creation. And so this gospel it revolves around Jesus, and he says, according to his human uh, genealogy, uh, in the Greek it says, who according to the flesh, uh, he was a son of David. As prophesied, the Messiah would be come from the line of David. But he says, but he was also appointed or in the Greek designated or uh, kind of highlighted as the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And so, uh, so during his earthly ministry, Jesus did many signs and wonders that revealed who he was and backed up his claim to be the son of God. But the ultimate the ultimate miracle was his resurrection from the dead and on which, uh, as we saw at Easter time, all of Christianity either rises or falls. And he says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So through him, through Jesus, we've received grace, but we've also received apostleship to call all the Gentiles. Uh, and this was Paul's specific calling to share the message of Jesus primarily with non-Jewish people um, and to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from, from faith. And so as we'll see in this letter, true faith is trust, and trust, true trust in Jesus leads to a life of obedience. And he says, for his name's sake. And he says, and you also are among the Gentiles, right? So we, we know there's some Jews in, in uh, the church at Rome. We'll meet them in chapter 16 by name, but most of the church at Rome seems to be Gentiles. So he says, you also are among uh, the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And so this is to all in Rome, you know, Jews or Gentiles, who are, first of all, loved by God. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, you're his agapitas. You're one of his loved ones. And you're also called to be one of his holy people. In the Greek, one of his hagioi, which means saints. The ones separated out, Paul called out of darkness into his marvelous light to be transformed, to live the life you were created to live. And, uh, and he says, so grace and peace to you from God our Father, right? So when we come to Jesus, we're adopted into his family. In chapter 8, he'll talk about that. He sent the spirit of his son that calls Abba, Father, into our life. And, uh, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the intro, okay? So as I mentioned uh, last week, uh, what I love about this intro is, is not only does Paul introduce himself 
uh, as an apostle and introduce his, uh, his message, the gospel of God, and lay some strategic foundation to where he's going in this letter. Um, but he also uses some key words what I call gospel words that are very key words in the vocabulary of the Apostle Paul. And these words are like windows into his worldview. And so when I say worldview, I'm not talking just about kind of in, an intellectual system of how you understand life, but for what I'm saying is the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit had opened his eyes to see the truth about life, who God is, who we are, uh, the path to life, Right? And so, so for Paul, these things, he can see these things very clearly. And so when I talk about seeing life from his point of view and his worldview, I'm saying having God open our eyes that through these we would see the reality. Amen. Right? So for example, there may be many things that we believe as Christians, but we don't really live in the reality. Are you with me? So for example, you may, if I say, hey, do you believe in spiritual warfare? Do you believe that there are uh, that enemy spirits and that they attack us as believers and they're behind kind of all the mess that's going on in this world? As a Christian, you probably say, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Yes. But then you have an experience in your life with the demonic. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness. This stuff is real, right? What could be said of that could be said of every area of the Christian life, right? And so, so when I talk about looking through his eyes at the worldview, I'm saying, hey, these, these words are like a window into reality. And if we're gonna be transformed, we need to see these things that Paul has seen. And so today, we're gonna be looking at the second of what I'm calling gospel words in this intro. There's, there's gonna be more than we can cover in the series, but, but we're going to be looking at several of them, and today we're going to be looking at number two, and the word is the word doulos. So there in your, your um, note sheet, you have a section called gospel words, doulos, and, um, and what I want you to catch is this is very interesting. Before we go into the word and what it means, very interesting, I want you to catch this is the very first word that Paul uses to describe himself. So look at that there in your note sheet. I put the very verse. It says, Paul, a what? Servant. A servant. That's the word doulos. Right? So before he talks about being an apostle, before he talks about his calling to the gospel of God, before he talks about his ministry call to the gen, before he talks about anything else, he self-identifies, I am a doulos. And what we're going to see today, this is a very important word to understanding the gospel what it means to receive the gospel, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're gonna, we're gonna take some time to unpack it, all right? So there in your, your note sheet, you see a couple bullets. So to understand what the word doulos means, we need to see it from two different angles. We need to see it first in terms of, hey, what did this word mean in everyday life in the Roman Empire, right? This is, we're gonna say a very common word used all the time. What does it mean in the Roman Empire? But secondly, to fully understand the word, we need to understand how this word was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures that was the Bible of the early church, right? So we need to understand how it's used in culture, how it was used in church. 
Because both of these come together like, like two streams coming together to understand this word, all right? So let's jump in. Let's talk about what the word means in the Roman Empire. So, so the question is, so what does the word doulos mean in the Roman Empire? And the answer is very simple. It means slave. And you say, well, what do you mean? Can you like explain a little bit more? Like what else does it mean? Nope, I can't. <laughs> That's what it means. It means slave. Always? Yes. It's slave. Now let's, let's talk about, so slavery was big in the Roman Empire. It's big most of the world. You know, most of world history has always been slaves, right? It's like around the world, historically, it's typically slaves, right? So, um, so what, is, what was the situation in Rome? Well, here's the situation. That a large percentage of population in the Roman Empire was slaves. In fact, did you know this, that, that scholars estimate that in the city of Rome, the capital, which is, remember, about a million people at this point in what Paul's writing, the scholars estimate that up to 30% of the inhabitants of Rome were slaves. Now, if you do the math on that, if Rome has a million people, that means there are, what? 300,000 slaves, right? So, so you're going to see slaves everywhere. Slaves are super common. Uh, so, you know, if you, you go to a party, you ask your buddy, hey, did you bring your slaves? No, they're more trouble than they're worth. I left them at home, you know? And you're going to ask, hey, hey, I heard you're starting a new business. Yeah, he is. I picked up a new slave. He was from Spain. He actually uh, ran a very successful uh, kind of some stores there. And so and we're looking into getting that business. And like, hey, I heard you weren't happy with your slave. Yep, sent him to the silver mine, sold him cheap. You know, that this was, slavery was very common. As you're walking through the streets of, of uh, Rome, slaves are everywhere. Like slaves is just a normal part of life. And the next thing you need to know about slaves, they're the bottom of the social tier. Slaves have no rights. They have no privilege. Slave, by definition, you belong to someone else. You're someone else's property. And in the Roman Empire, there were no, there were no restrictions on what you could do with your slave. You want to sleep with your slave? It's up to you. It's your, they're, they're your slave, you know? Um, you, you want to uh, have them do hard labor? They're your slave. You, you're upset with them? You want to kill them? Feel free. You want to beat them before you kill them? That's okay. There was no legal recourse. If you're a slave, that you have complete and total control over your slave. And if you're a slave, you belong to your master. Are you with me on this? Okay, now catch this. I want you to notice the difference between slaves and servants. There is a world of difference. If you're a servant, you're a free agent. You can hire yourself out to whoever master you want. If you don't like the terms and conditions, you can quit and you can serve someone else. So you may do the same kind of work as a slave. Maybe, maybe not, but you are in control of your destiny. So here's what I want you to catch is that if you're sitting in the church of Rome and you get this letter from the Apostle Paul and it's being read to you and, and he's introducing himself and you've heard of this guy, you've heard of the, some of the criticism, whatever, and, and you're just really interested in what's this letter going to say and his very first word out of his mouth is, hi, I'm Paul, I'm a slave. Are you with me? 
This is kind of shocking. You'd expect him to say, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, the very first thing. A word of authority, a word of high calling, a word of uh, uh, power, right, of position. But no, he, no, no, first thing, if you want to know me, you need to know my first thing is I'm a slave of Jesus. I belong to him. And I want you to picture how shocking that would be. Now, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, I mentioned him last week, and for those of you who do reading in this area, it's probably not a lot, but for those of you who do reading, I don't subscribe to everything. You know, sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll quote people, and it doesn't mean I like, agree with everyone, right? everything they say. But I love this guy. He's just a very articulate, just brilliant New Testament, one of the top New Testament scholars of our day. And in his commentary on Romans, I want you to see what he says about Paul referring to himself as a slave. He says there in your note sheet, Paul announces himself with a word that above all others in his world, in the Roman culture, carried overtones of social degradation. Slaves had no rights, no property, no prospects. They were simply there to do what they were told. Then, then catch this, I love this. Modifying this to servant, like we just did in our new international versions, Paul is servant, he said, as though Paul were a free agent who happened to have a job as a cleaner or butler, misses the point. So you can say, well, why does the New International and so many other translate, why do they soften this to servant? Well, there's a reason. And to understand that reason, we have to understand the second part of this word in Paul's world. We have to understand how this word is used in the Jewish scriptures, all right? So that's the second bullet. So let's talk about this a bit. A lot of us don't realize this. We often forget this, but when we talk, the Bible that Jesus grew up on, memorizing, the Bible the Apostle Paul grew up on, the Bible that the early church used in their services was what we call the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. That was their Bible, right? And here's the thing. Most people, even Jewish people, especially outside of Israel, they could not read Hebrew. You know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew for the most part, a little Aramaic, but mostly Hebrew. But, but most Jews in the Roman Empire, even Jews couldn't read Hebrew. I mean, most people can't read, maybe 10% could read, but those who could read couldn't read Hebrew. So there was a, there was a translation of the Jewish scripture Hebrew into Greek, which was the lingua franca of the ancient world. So like when I go to Israel, um, I can communicate almost really well with almost everyone, not because I speak Hebrew, because I don't, but because they speak English. If you go around the world today, that English is the lingua franca, right? It's why people in Japan are learning English, it's why people in China are learning English. This is the language of our Universe, kind of world culture. Well, in the, in the time of the New Testament, that was Greek. And so there was a Greek translation of the Jewish scriptures, and it was called the Septuagint, right? And it was represented by the Roman numerals there on your note sheet, capital LXX. I, I won't go into why. Anyway, so what I want you to catch is if you're a Jew and you've come to believe Jesus is the Messiah, this is what you grew up on, the Septuagint, okay? You know the Septuagint, it's what was read at synagogue, it's what was taught on, right? 
if you are a pagan and you've come to Jesus, you're a Gentile and you've come to Jesus, when you started going to church in the fellowship, guess what you read? You, they would read to you from the Septuagint, the Greek translation. So what this means is the way the word doulos was used in church and in the scriptures has a tremendous impact on how you understand that word. So let me give an example. In the Septuagint, the word doulos is used in the normal way to refer to slavery, just like we talked about in Rome. Okay? Like, the, like, children of it, like the nation of Israel were slaves in Egypt. But Hesus, it is also often used to describe the nation of Israel who are God's chosen people and whom he set his love on. And so doulos begins to take on the sense of being God's servant in a very special way. It becomes a term, like an affectionate term. Right? Um, and what's even more interesting, and this applies to the Apostle Paul, is some of the greatest leaders of Israel were referred to as God's doulos. So for example, uh, Moses is called the doulos of Yahweh. Joshua is called the doulos of Yahweh. So this word is, it's like it's taking on this connotation. Yes, it's slave. Yes, you report to, but it's also this very special relationship of love and service to your God. So let me give you a couple examples. Like in Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says the Lord, and we see all caps, what does that mean? Yahweh, Yahweh okay. So Yahweh will vindicate his people. He's talking in context about the nation of Israel. And he will relent concerning his what? Okay, but in the Greek, it's his douloi. His douloi. And so the nation, so, so now you're seeing this transition, how this word is used in the nation of Israel that's used in a slightly different way. Uh, the next verse, Psalm 105. Uh, the psalmist is talking about Moses, his greatest leader in the Old Testament. He sent Moses, God sent Moses, his servant, in the Greek, his doulos, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. Uh, remember Joshua, the greatest, uh, the great leader that came after Moses, led the nation in the promised land. It says, after these things, end of his life, Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, the servant of the Lord. But in Greek, the doulos of Yahweh died at the age of 100. And so, so what we're seeing is that for the Apostle Paul, these two, in the early church, these two streams are coming together. It's, it's the sense that to be a doulos, yes, is to be owned by another, no rights. You live for the, for the sake of another. Your top priority is to live to please your master, right? But also the sense of love and affection and devotion. In fact, um, in fact, on your note sheet there, I put a quote from uh, one of my favorite commentators, one of New, New Testament scholar named Douglas Moo. And if I only had one commentary I could use on the book of Romans, this would probably be the one. Um, I wouldn't recommend this unless you kind of have more of a academic background in Greek and stuff, but he's like my favorite. If I only had one, right? And so I want you to see what he, he says about this term, the slave of Jesus, and how he weaves together these two 
uh, these two connotations from, from Roman culture and then from the Old Testament. He says the phrase, the slave of Christ Jesus, which is how Paul introduced himself, it's patterned on or modeled on the familiar Old Testament phrase, the slave or the servant of Yahweh. And this phrase connotes, kind of indicates first total devotion, right? This devotion of love. But it also suggests that the servant is completely at the disposal of his or her Lord. And so we're understanding for the Apostle Paul, hey, this is who he sees himself. This is his core identity. In fact, one of the great uh, spiritual mentors in my life, and I'm sure you have this too, people in your life that maybe you don't know them personally, maybe they don't even live now, maybe they live in the past, but God has used them or their writings in a powerful way in your life to shape who you are as a follower of Jesus. So one of my spiritual mentors is uh, uh, kind of a spiritual leader of the early 20th century named Oswald Chambers. And he wrote a very famous daily devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. And I love the, I love the way he, he captures what Paul is saying here. He says, to be a disciple is to be a devoted love slave of the Lord Jesus. Right? Right? So, so for Paul, it's like this is how he introduces himself. Like, okay, I'm Paul. The first thing you need to know about me is I am a doulos of Jesus. My life belongs to him. I don't have any rights or privileges. He's my master. Now, this is very important to understand the Apostle Paul, but here's why I'm sharing it today. Guess what? It turns out this is part of our core identity as followers of Jesus as well. This is not just for Paul as an apostle. This is for all of us. Now, Throughout this series, or earlier in, uh, last week, I mentioned that throughout this series, last couple weeks really, that as we go through Romans, we're not only going to be doing a deep dive into Romans, we're going to use Romans as a springboard to launch into other, other writings of Paul, other letters that help us to understand this worldview of spiritual reality that we're all invited into as followers of Jesus. And so, so in this next two sections, I want to introduce two other passages from the Apostle Paul where he talks about who we are as followers of Jesus. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called the gospel of God, douloi to Christu, right? And so douloi is the plural of doulos. Okay, so, and then to Christu means of Christ. So douloi to Christu means uh, slaves of Christ. And so what I wanna do is I wanna jump in and I want to look at a, a very powerful passage as a first example from 1 Corinthians 7. So if you were here for our last major long series, which was on the, the letter to Corinthians, you may remember this. And when Paul gets to 1 Corinthians 7, he begins answering some questions the Corinthians had said, sent to him about what does it look like to follow Jesus uh, now that we're followers of Jesus um, in, in, in like different stations of life, different demographics. So for example, hey, if, if I'm married to another believer, what does it look like to follow Jesus in our marriage? Um, hey, um, if I'm married to a non-believer, what should I do? Um, hey, uh, if I'm single, what should I do? And when he gets down to like verse 21 thereabouts, he begins to address slaves, now remember, in that Roman Empire, slaves are super common. So the early church has lots of slaves. 
In fact, you'll see this in Paul's letters. He'll talk to slaves. Here's how to be a good slave. Here's a master. And so the question is, hey, I'm a slave. Now, remember what a slave is. I have no rights. I can't go to church unless my master lets me go to church. I have no rights. It's complete control over my life. So how do I serve Jesus if I, I can't even control my own body and what I do? Is it possible? And so Paul's going to say, yes. Yes, you can. And so here's what he says. He says, were you a slave when you were called? Let me talk about that word called for just a second. Uh, for the apostle Paul, calling, being called is a technical term. So in his writings, that if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I know about you. I like to put it like this. If you're a follower of Jesus, number one, you were chosen before time. Number two, you were called in time. At a certain point, Jesus opened your and called you. And then number three, you are gifted for this time. All right? So these are technical terms. We get to Romans 8, Paul will lay it out. You're chosen, you're called, you're justified, you know, this whole thing, right? And so, so that's what he means. It's like he says, when he says, were you a slave when you were called? And that's when Jesus revealed himself to you and called you to follow him. And he says, don't let it trouble you. I, I, I know that it seems like you can't really serve, but actually you can. He says, although if you can gain your freedom, you have that opportunity, do so, then you can serve him even more. But he says, for the one who is a slave... When called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Yes, you may, on the outside, your body may be earned, but hey, but inside you've been set free from the kingdom of darkness and you can serve with a whole new perspective. And when he talks to us, hey, here's how to serve as a follower of Jesus. Serve your master as if you're serving the Lord. And the Lord like takes that service as if it's for him. And so he says, for the one who is a slave, when called to faith, is the Lord's free person. Similarly, the one who is free when called. Now, let me ask you here. When you came to Jesus, were you owned by someone else or were you free? Okay. So probably most of us, if not all of us, uh, in this room, we would fall in this category. That when you came to Jesus, you weren't owned by someone else. You were a free person. Okay, so look what he says. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's what? His doulos. He says, hey, when you came to Jesus, you became his doulos. With all that means. And you ask the question, hey, I don't remember that. Hey, what I heard was God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> I didn't hear anything about slavery, right? And so Paul says, yeah, here's how it works. He says, actually, you were bought with a price. So what's he talking about? Well, this is what would happen. The Rome goes out, they conquer a new area, Germanica. Uh, they cover, you know, conquer a new area. Uh, they conquer Spain. And now they have all these... Thousands and thousands of slaves. It was a huge economic driver of the Roman Empire. So they bring, that's how they finance their government, right? They bring all these slaves back and they sell them in the slave market. 
And this guy, he's, he's a highly educated guy from Spain. And so, man, he could run your whole estate. This person was just a laborer, but they could still work in the salt mines. So you're going to buy them for them. But whatever, you, this is how you, you buy them, right? You buy a slave. And so what is Paul saying? He said, hey, when you came to Jesus, what happened is you used to be a slave of the devil. You used to be a slave of the kingdom of darkness. You used to be a slave to sin. And Jesus bought you. And what was the price? The price was his life. The price was his blood. And you may not have realized, but when you gave your life to Jesus, he bought you. You belong to him you are his doulas. Amen. Now catch this, you may be a good doulas or a horrible doulas. <laughs> but you are his doulas. Like there's no option. Like you belong to him. Right? Now, so given all that, that's where we're landing the plane. <laughs> you ready? All background, all background to understand where we're going. So next of, of one final question for you. There in your note sheet, the gospel of God, one key question, right? So I'm going to ask you a question. On the surface, it may seem simple. I think actually in practice, hard to, hard to answer. I hope you don't give a quick uh, Sunday school Bible answer. You know, just go, I know the right answer. You know, I, I want you to really think through your life, and I'm going to help you do that. Mm. Right, so here we go. Yes, she says thoughtful of you. Yes. Okay, so, how, so here's the question, right? So we've seen what, what Paul says. He says, hey, as a follower of Jesus, you have to understand, I'm a doulos of Jesus, I belong to him. He says, hey, and by the way, when you came to Jesus, you became a doulos. You, you belong to him. So here's the question I have. Who do you belong to? Now, I just want you to reflect on that. We're going to think about that. But I want you to think with me about this. If you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, Paul is going to use so many different words, so many different phrases, so many different metaphors and analogies to help us understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, for example, even in his intro today, he does this, right? He says, I'm writing to you, all of you who are called of God in Rome. Okay? You're called. You're chosen before time. You're called. That's who, if you're a Christian, that's who you are, right? So he'll use that phrase, right? He said, um, hey, I'm writing to all of those are loved by God, agapitas. That if you're a Christian, you are one of the loved ones. Okay? Beautiful, right? Uh, he says, uh, hey, I'm, I'm writing to those of you who God is our father. Hey, there's another analogy that God is our father. Well, learned in Romans 8 that we come to Jesus, we're adopted into his family with all the rights and privileges of the princes and the princesses of his kingdom, right? Beautiful, right? And so he's gonna, throughout his writings, he's used all kinds of words, for, you know, redemption, uh, forgiveness of sins, justification, uh, temple of the Holy Spirit, temple of God. I mean, he's gonna go on and on, family of God. He's gonna use all these different descriptions, and here's what I want you to catch. Everyone is beautiful. The descriptions Paul gives of our life as believers is like a diamond with many facets. And you can just spin it around one at a time and every different facet shines a little different light and helps us understand. 
So are we friends of Jesus? Yes. Are we sons and daughters of the king? Yes. Are we forgiven people? Absolutely. Do we have an inheritance that's coming? That's absolutely. Okay, but also we learn today that we are the douloi to Christu. That we belong to him. Now it's a, a belonging of love. It's a belonging of deep passion and devotion, but we belong to him. And so the question is, who do you belong to? And it's interesting because, remember, we just looked at 1 Corinthians 7, right? Where Paul says, you're not, he says that you are, you're the Lord's doulos. He bought you with a price. Guess what? In the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians 6, he uses the same expression and the same analogy. And I want to set it up. So in 1 Corinthians 6, there were some people in the church of Corinth who were saying, you know what? What Jesus really cares about is our heart, our spirit. Uh, he doesn't care about what we do with our bodies because our bodies are going to perish, right? So, to, so it does, like whatever you do sexually, whatever you eat, it doesn't make any difference. What you do with your body doesn't matter. What matters is do you love Jesus with your heart? Okay? That was their argument. And Paul says, what are you thinking? Do you not realize that when you came to Jesus, the same way the temple in the Old Testament, when they got it built, it was filled with the Holy Spirit and became holy ground. Don't you realize that when you came to Jesus, the Holy Spirit entered into you and your body became a temple of the Holy Spirit? Your, your body is holy ground. And so it matters what you do with your body, right? So in that context, look what he says. He says, flee from sexual immorality, run for your life. He says, do you not know, which remember it's Paul's way of saying what's wrong with you, you should know better by now. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? So here's another analogy, right, that helps us understand what does it mean to embrace the gospel? What is the gospel of God, right? And so he says, do you know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? And then he catches this, he says, you are not what? your own, you have been bought at what? It's the same analogy. It's the same one he'll spell out in the next chapter. Hey, as a follower of Jesus, you belong to him. Uh, you are his doulos. He, he bought you with a price. And this, uh, this leads us back to this uh, life-changing story from my own life um, that we started the day with. And we started the day with a story that I'd come home from college, I was 19, I was a sophomore. Last, 16, last six months have been totally life-changing, amazing walk with Jesus, everything had changed. Uh, like God was just speaking in a really powerful way. And so I, I come home, it's December, it's late at night, 11.30. Remember, I'm reading through the Bible, the whole house is asleep. And you remember I said I came across a passage that I had never really understood that didn't seem true, that didn't ring true. Well, guess what? That passage is the passage we just read. And when I got to that place where it says you're not your own, you've been bought with a price, it's like the Holy Spirit lit it up. And it was like he was saying, this is true, you're not your own. Remember I said that in the past it had never made sense to me, and I think 
it's because my understanding of what it made, meant to embrace the gospel wasn't very mature. I, I think that what, what was happening is when, that prior to that night, that when I thought of, I, if you said, you're a servant of Jesus, I would have said, yes, I serve Jesus. But I was still a free agent. I decided when I served, how I served, how much I served. There are certain areas of my life where Jesus would call me to obedience, and I might say, yeah, I don't think so. I'm a servant. And what the Lord was showing me, he was saying, those days are over. Saying, you belong to me. And it was terrifying because it felt like to embrace that reality was to give up rights to myself. It was to give up all freedom. It was to give up all control. It was like you're saying, up to this point, you've come to a decision, a hard decision. You decide. You decide whether you'll listen and follow or not. But from this point on, it's time for you to be who you are. And no longer do you have that right. You belong to me. And it was terrifying. And that's why I sat there for a half an hour. I had come too far with Jesus. I had tasted and seen too much of the goodness of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, the last six months, now, I could not say no to Jesus. But on the other hand, I could not say yes because it was terrifying. And so I was locked there in this spiritual battle. And like you say, the reason I bring this up is not I talk about my story, but because I think it illustrates this point powerfully that every one of us has to come to this place in our life to understand whether we are going to embrace the gospel or not. And what we've not understood is the gospel is not just that we come to Jesus, we're forgiven, and we go to heaven when we die. The gospel is that when you came to Jesus, he bought you. He forgave you, and he bought you, and you belong to him. Amen. And here's my experience, as I've been a pastor a long time now. I think for, for some of us, I think it's more of a minority, really. That's why I'm not telling my whole story. I think for some people that we come to this place at a particular moment in time that just becomes like a before and after. And I think that's sort of my story, right? I was talking with a woman in our congregation this week who was sharing a similar story in her life. And, um, and she was showing how this happened for her at age 50 when she was standing in a mall here in the valley. And now she's many, many years older than that. But this is when her life went from being a servant of Jesus to a slave of Jesus. And where she went from being just a follower of Jesus to a passionate Christ follower. So for some of us, I think it's that way. But my experience has been for many of us, it's not that way. It's not a one-time big thing crisis. It, that for many of us, if you, if you think of our life as like a temple, right, 
that in the ancient temple, of course, there was a, the place where you worship God and so on, but around the edge of it, there's all kinds of storerooms and all the different things. And the, for many of us, it's like some of these storerooms of our life are, are open to Jesus and some are closed. And it's like we, we have certain rooms in the, our temple that, no, well, that one's off limits, you know? It's kind of a sign on the door written in invisible ink because it'd be a little bit embarrassing to say. But it says, um, Jesus, please stay out, right? Uh, restricted, restricted area, right? Holy Spirit, restricted area. Mm. Uh, not yet cleaned up. Stay out, please. Yeah. This room is a mess. Please check the room down the hall. Right? And so I think for many of us, what happens if we're truly listening and following Jesus and the Holy Spirit is what he does is he begins to walk through the temple and one by one, at different times in our life, says, I need to knock on this door. We need to go and clean this. Oh, no, no, I can't. And there becomes a battle. And eventually we surrender to our master. And he goes in, and you know what? What we find out is this incredible paradox I'll talk about later. As we surrender to the master, our freedom, that we discover the freedom we've been looking for our whole life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever said yes to Jesus in an area of hard obedience that you later said, I'm sorry, I, I wish I'd never done that? Never. Very rare. Very rare. So, so I want you to think through this question, like who do you belong to? And to help you think through it, I put seven little questions there in the back of your note sheet. And these are just sort of random, not random in the sense that I just said to chat, you know, chat GFJ, like, hey, generate some questions. But, but random in the sense, like, there could be other questions, but these are just several that, several, I thought, okay, let's think this through. So let's, let's run through those questions. And I just want you to kind of think about this in your own life. So um, let's start. The first question, well, the question is, who do, who do you belong to, right? But let's, let's bring the cookies, put them on the bottom shelf here. So who does your body belong to? Like, we all have a body, right? You're sitting on part of your body right now. And so we all have a body. And, and so, hey, who does your body belong to? Now, this was the issue of the Corinthians, right? They thought their bodies belonged to them. Hey, my heart belongs to God, but my body belongs to me. And so I want to use it sexually and morally. I'm like, no, no, you don't. Your, your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body belongs to Jesus, so who does your body belong to? You know, when we get to Romans chapter 12, Paul's gonna say, hey, in light of all that I've been writing about what the gospel is about, the first 11 chapters, he said, I wanna urge you, beg you, brothers and sisters, that in light of this amazing gospel I've just laid out, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's holy and it's pleasing to God. Amen. Hey, when you make decisions about your body, <laughs> you know, I had a conversation with someone this week and we were talking about motorcycles. And so the conversation, they're, they're thinking about getting a motorcycle, right? But it's, it's high risk. You know, motorcycles are a little riskier than everyday life, right? So they were just asking, kind of, as a Christian, how do I look at this? 
And let me, I gave him my answer. You may not like it, but let me just give you my answer. Here is my answer, is that for me as a Christian, my body belongs to Jesus. So if I'm going to if I'm gonna participate in higher than normal risk level, I need to ask Jesus, is that okay? Because my body does not belong to me. So who does your body belong? Like, think of our culture, my body, my choice. Oh my gosh. You think your body is yours? Are you kidding me? Who gave you your body? You're gonna answer for your body. Right? No, no, no. That, that, is, that is the world's thinking. My body, my choice. Then here's a Christian's thinking, your body, your choice. Right? In every area of our life. Okay? Here's another question. Um, who do your relationships belong to? Hey, so you're single. Maybe you're going to be dating. You're married. Maybe you have children. Well, I have a relationship. Let me ask you something. How do you approach your relationships how do you approach your marriage? How do you approach your dating life if you're single? How do you do relationships? Do you say, my relationships are not my own, they belong to Jesus, and therefore I am under orders of how to do relationship? And so I, as a slave of Jesus, I do relationships the Jesus way. Or do I say, no, 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 no. I make up my own rules in relationship. I do my marriage like my parents do my marriage. I raise kids like my parents raise kids. I approach forgiveness like was modeled for me. Or do you say, no, no, my relationships belong to Jesus. I belong to, I don't have the right to determine how I do relationships. I do relationships the Jesus way because I am a slave of Jesus. How about this one? Um, who does your career belong to? Maybe you're, you're, uh, you're a mom at home. Maybe you're out in the community. You have some kind of career. Who, who owns your career? How do you approach your career? I, I think for many people, it's like this. Jesus, I love being a part of Rocky Peak. I, I love my life group. I love serving. I'm in first impression serving coffee every weekend. I love that because I get the donuts too while no one's looking and <laughs> just awesome. And I, I give and I, I, I believe the Bible. And, you know, like I, and he's like, but the Holy Spirit's saying like, uh, yeah, but I'd like to talk to you about the way you approach your career. And you're like, no, I've got this one. Like, Jesus, you don't really understand how the secular workplace works. And you don't really understand what it takes to get ahead. And so if I listen to you, I'm afraid that bad things may happen. And so, look, why don't you try out those rooms? Those belong to you. But we're just going to hold off on this room because, honestly, you don't really understand. <laughs> now, we would never articulate it that way. What we do is we just ignore what God is saying to us about our career. Who does your career belong to? How about this one? Who do your priorities belong to? Do you realize this that every one of us, I don't care if you're Bill Gates, I don't care if you're Elon Musk, or you're one of us. 
that we all have exactly the same amount of hours in every week. Have you ever thought about that? Every one of us in this room. I don't care how famous, how powerful, how rich, or how opposite. We all have the exact same amount of time. And so each of us has to decide how we're going to invest those hours. So let me ask you, who decides how you invest your hours? It's amazing how many of us will call ourselves followers of Jesus, and yet we give them the leftovers of our time. Hey, if I have any extra time, I'll serve. If I have any extra time, I'll spend time with you. If I have any extra time, I'll do this. Of course, who has extra time? Right, and so the way we approach our priorities is like, I run my life, uh, my time belongs to me. I make those decisions. Here's one. Who do your finances belong to? This is a huge one. Jesus said that one of the greatest competitors for God in our life is our finances and our possessions. So who owns that? Uh, And when I talk about finance, I'm not just talking about giving. What I'm talking about is how you make money, how you spend money, how you save money, how you give money, and how you invest money. Who is responsible for your finances? Are you approaching your finances as a slave of Jesus? How do you want me to manage these resources? Are you acting as if they belong to you and you just do what you want? Here's one. Who do your spiritual gifts belong to? When we get to chapter 12, Paul's going to say, as followers of Jesus, not only have we received the Holy Spirit, but each of us has used, has received uh, supernatural gifts of his spirit to serve and advance his kingdom and to build up the body of Christ. So in your life, who decides what you, when you serve, how you serve, and how much you serve with your spiritual gifts? Is that a decision you make? Or is that a decision that you bring under the leadership of Jesus? Here's here's another last question. Who does your future belong to? We all have dreams and hopes for the future, right? We we all do. But you know, as followers of Jesus, we need to distinguish between our hopes and dreams and Jesus' hopes and dreams. And often they're different. And so we always need to come and say, Jesus is my master. This is what I hope for. This is what I, I don't know if this is a dream that you placed in my heart or whether this is my own dream that has no correlation with what your dream for me is. And so as your, as your due loss, I just want to submit all my hopes and dreams to you for you to lead me. Right? And so the question again is, well, who do you belong to? And can I tell you something? It's impossible to experience the life-transforming power of the gospel without embracing the gospel. Many times we wonder, hey, why isn't my relationship with God, why do I lack the wisdom? Why is my relationships falling apart? Why is God not blessing me financially? We go on and on, and the 
what we don't realize is that we've never embraced the gospel. We're running our own lives and asking God to bless us. We're not douloi to Christoi. We are masters of our own faith. And here's why, well, you know, it's when we embrace the true gospel that the power of the gospel is released in our lives. Amen. This is that paradox I alluded to earlier. The craziest thing, it's when we embrace our identity, our true calling as douloi to Christu, that we discover the freedom we've been looking for our whole lives. And this is what Paul says there in your note sheet in 2 Corinthians 3. Where he says, where the, where the spirit of the Lord is. The Lord is a spirit. When the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Freedom. There's freedom. Can I tell you something? Man? If you want to know the freedom you were created to live in, if you want to know the power of the gospel, very simple. Listen and follow the leading of the spirit because the spirit will lead you to freedom every time. And here's the crazy thing. What often feels like bondage, the first step, you open that door of surrender and on the other side, you find freedom. Amen. Let me ask you in your own life, have you ever said yes to Jesus in a hard area and then come back later and said, that was a mistake? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So who do you belong to? Let's pray. So Father, we just thank you for the beauty of your word, the richness of your word, Lord. And today we've spun that diamond of the gospel around and we looked at it through a different lens, this lens of doulos. And Lord, we, we just pray that for each of us in our lives that we would be really surrendered at a new level and that that whether it, it comes in, a, in one big moment of, of like total surrender of who we are or whether it comes in a room by room in the temple of our, where we live, our temple of our body, that, that we would just keep saying yes to you because we know, Lord, that you've come to set us free. You said you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. It's where you always lead. And so Lord, help us to embrace the gospel. Help us to embrace the truth of the gospel that when we came to you, we were bought with a price. And therefore, we don't belong to ourselves. And anytime we act like we do, we are rejecting the gospel and we're losing the power and the life and the freedom that you came to give us. And so Lord, we pray as we sing this final song, these beautiful words, we belong to you. Uh, we sing with a new understanding and passion. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?